so we're in our third week of this series, Who Needs God? We're going to finish this up on Easter Sunday, and we want you to be bringing people with you, uh, especially on Easter. What we've discovered so far is that one in four Americans are in a category called nuns, N-O-N-E-S. That means they are not affiliated with any particular religion. We found out that one in three millennials are nuns. Most of these sincere people walked away from God. They walked away from Christianity because something someone told them about God. And they said, if that's what God is like, then I can't believe in him. And what we said last week was, if you walked away from those gods good, they do not exist. Uh, But when you step away from Christianity, whether you mean to or not, you are stepping towards something else. At the other end of the spectrum is atheism. And atheism says that random chunks of rock decided at some point to gather with other random chunks of rock. Given enough time, they produced you and me. And then we looked at new atheism. And here are the six tenets of new atheism. The mind, your mind is an illusion. You don't really have that. You don't really get to think it's an illusion. Free choice is an illusion. Value is an illusion. Something came from no thing. And then the next one is my favorite. First life emerged from no life with no help. And then Darwinism tells us how we got here. Natural selection tells us how we got here. Well, that's troubling. There may be some things troubling about religion, but there's some things troubling about atheism. And most people say I fall somewhere in the in the middle. I don't like religion, but I sure hope there's something more out there than atheism. And so we discovered that when people tell their stories about why they walked away from Christianity, there's always at least two things they have in common. One was, um, uh, somebody told me, so God, that's what we talked about last week. We looked at six different versions of God, lowercase g that do not exist. We said, so if you lost faith or are losing faith in one of those gods, you had the wrong God in the first place. The second thing that they have in common, these stories have in common, is a Bible tells me so Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, crowd participation for just a second. And, and I need you to, I need you to finish this, the second line of this song. Most of you grew up with this song. I want you to sing the second line after I sing the first line. Ready? Jesus loves me. This I know. Y'all are good. Thank you for playing. That one certainly made the recording. What we are saying is some people walked away from the Bible because somebody told them something was in the Bible. And, And what we... What we have to acknowledge is too many times in Christian churches, if science and the Bible uh, are, are in conflict, then either we just ignore it, pretend it's not there, or we walk away from it. But what I want you to understand is there is a grown-up, there is an adult version of Christianity that can handle anything that the critics throw at us. And you need to understand, if the entire Bible is not true, then the Bible is not true. If you walked away because of something you read in the, in the Bible or something somebody told you was in the Bible, pay attention today because we're going to defend Christianity. We're going to defend the Bible today. Now, the first thing you need to know on your listening guide, Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. If we were in, an, in a very traditional Baptist church, I would have been booed off the stage or they would have thrown their, their hymnals at me and knocked me out or something. But let me finish the statement. Christianity does not exist because of the Bible any more than you exist because of your birth certificate. Your birth certificate documents something that happened. The Old and New Testaments documented something that happened. It was true. It happened. Now, back in the time Jesus was born, I've got to give you a history lesson. So hang on. We're going to fly through this. Uh, Go ahead and put that timeline up there. 
Back in the time that Jesus was born, they were using the Julian calendar, not the Gregorian calendar that we use now. That didn't come around until about the 15th century. But because of errors in how they did leap year, they didn't count the leap years. Because of errors, we actually believe that Jesus um, was born 2 to 3 BC, before Christ. So that means Jesus was born 2 to 3 years before Jesus was born. Um, but it's because of errors in the, in the calendar. The best guess we have is he was born in about 2 to 3 BC. See, that means that um, if 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 he was born then, then his resurrection happened around AD 30. And by the way, you say it that way. If it's before Christ, you say the year and then BC. If it's in the year of our Lord, Anno Domini, then you say AD and whatever the year is. So... <clears throat> Two months later, after Jesus rose from the dead in AD 30 or somewhere around there, uh, they went around Jerusalem and Peter said, you killed him. God raised him from the dead and has made him both Lord and Christ. Say you're sorry. And all of the Jews that had gathered to hear Peter preach, they said, oh no, what must we do? We, we killed the Christ, the Messiah. And he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And thousands of Jews became Christians, not 50 years after the resurrection, 50 days after the resurrection. That's significant. That's when the church was born. Now, in the year AD 70, the temple is destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem is destroyed. What is going on here is the Romans in about 60, AD 66, the Jews started revolting. There were different people groups uh, in Jerusalem and Israel. One of them was uh, the Zealots. The Zealots wanted to fight anybody who didn't believe in them. They were ready to fight Rome. There were the Herodians. The Herodians wanted Herod Antipas to be their king and they wanted to get rid of Roman rule. So there's all kinds of, re- of revolt going on. So Caesar sends his military to come down. They come down from north to south. If you know know where Jerusalem is or Israel is. It's on this, it's on the sea coast of the Mediterranean sea. They come from North to South destroying everybody. People are fleeing from all of these armies and they flee towards Jerusalem. Well, somewhere in this whole deal, Vespasian, who was the commander of the army, he gets called back to Rome and he becomes emperor of the entire kingdom. His son Titus takes over the army and they surround Jerusalem with all these hundreds of thousands of people in there, eight different groups of, of people living in there. And, and what Titus does is he digs a ditch and he builds an earthen wall all around Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a fortified city. Janie and I actually did a tour where we walked around on the walls. It's called the Ramparts Tour. You're about 30, 35 feet in the air in this massive thick wall and there's enough room you could actually drive a cart up there. That's how big the wall is. So they built this siege ramp all the way around. And every day, Titus would crucify hundreds of Christians, hundreds of Jews, crucify them on a cross in full sight of everybody within the city saying, don't you dare cross Rome. Don't you say Jesus is Lord. We believe Caesar is Lord. You will not get away with this. And then in um, August 6th of, of AD 70, Now, the temple uh, in the Old Testament, the temple was predicted. It was prophesied that it would be destroyed. August 6th, AD uh, 70, the walls were breached. The Roman soldiers come streaming into Jerusalem. They go and they burn down this magnificent temple. Thousands, some say hundreds of thousands of Jews are taken into slavery. So much so that the, the slave market, the price of a slave plummeted because there were way too many slaves out there. They couldn't get rid of them. Thousands and thousands of Jews were, were uh, killed and then Jews were kicked out of Jerusalem. It was illegal for them to live in Jerusalem. Now, the reason I give you this whole history lesson is nothing of what I just told you is contained in the New Testament. 
So a logical question would be, why wasn't the destruction of the temple mentioned in the New Testament? Four years of intense um, uh, persecution, they're, they're being attacked by the Roman army. And, and during this time, it was dangerous to live anywhere in Galilee, whether you were a Jew or a Christian. If you weren't Roman, it was dangerous to live there. Why did nobody, not a single mention in the New Testament that the temple was destroyed? The most logical reason is it hadn't happened yet. The New Testament was written before all of this happened. All right, so back to our timeline. Back to our timeline. There it is. All right, so here's when the temple was destroyed. We believe that all of the the writings of the New Testament, it wasn't one book at that time, there were all these different books, uh, 27 of them, that they were written between A.D. 49 and A.D. 69. That's the most logical reason it's not mentioned. Now, some people say that that uh, John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation were written years later. Even if they were, that's not that big a deal. He was on the, he was uh, exiled to the island of Patmos. But I believe that all of the writings happened before the temple was destroyed. Now, the reason this is a big deal is because all of the eyewitnesses that we're going to talk about in the next few minutes were still alive, or at least most of them were still alive. You could go talk to them. If something wasn't right, it could be corrected. Now, critics want to push um, the writing of the New Testament much, much later, hundreds of years later, because they cannot, they will not believe in miracles, and especially they do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they said hundreds of years later, then legend started to creep into the story. That's the reason that came about. But that doesn't make sense that not one single writer... Not one single Jewish person wrote about the biggest deal in the Jewish history at that time, the destruction of the temple. Not once is it mentioned in the New Testament. The most logical reason is because it hadn't happened yet. So critics have issues with that. Now, we believe the earliest writings were the writings of Paul. He wrote letters to different churches. And here's what he says. He he quotes a creed here, and this creed is probably the most important as far as dating how close we can get to the actual resurrection of Jesus. This is in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Everything the scripture says, Paul says, is true. All of those prophecies in the Old Testament are true. And they started quoting this creed. They started teaching this to new believers very early after the resurrection. Then this is amazing to me. uh, That he was raised the third day according to the scriptures and that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, Then to the 12, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also 14 specific eyewitnesses, Cephas, James, uh, he says to himself to the 12 and then 500 people at the same time, they weren't making it up. And he was saying that fall asleep. That's, that's how the Jews talked back then about being dead. Some of them have fallen asleep, but even if you have 400 eyewitnesses, would you be willing if you're a prosecutor and you've got 400 eyewitnesses all saying the same thing, would you take that case and would you get a prosecution? Yes, we convict people with one eyewitness. There are hundreds of people who saw Jesus alive. Now, if the, uh, if the crucifixion happened in 30 AD, 
Then Paul became a Christian sometime around 32. He goes off and he studies and sometime around 35, he goes and he meets with the apostles, the, the, the ones who started the church in Jerusalem. And he receives this creed and this creed includes the key facts of Jesus death. And then all of this list of witnesses who saw Jesus alive. Now the, the, the creed can be dated within two to five years of the resurrection. They believe the resurrection from the moment it happened, but they started teaching this creed within two, uh, years. That's not mythology from 70 years later. We, we know that, that it takes 70 to a hundred years for mythology or for legend to, to creep into it. We have a record that goes within two years of the resurrection. Uh, even though it wasn't written down, they were repeating this over and over and it was finally written down in 49 AD 49. Now you need to understand the new Testament writers were not writing fiction. They were recording history. This is big. Let me show you how we know that from the writers themselves. I told you last week about Dr. Luke. Um, he was a physician. He wrote the book of Luke and he wrote uh, the book of Acts. And he's the only Gentile writer of the New Testament uh, writings. Here's what he says in Acts chapter four, starting in verse 18. Now, what's going on here is Peter and John have been preaching in the name of Jesus. The religious leaders don't like that. So they call them in. They say, stop it. Stop. Here's what they said. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, this is one of my favorite things in, in scripture, which is right in the eye, in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have, what seen and what? We are eyewitnesses. We're going to tell the truth. You can beat us. Most of them, we, we have evidence, strong evidence that maybe 11 out of 12, we know at least seven of the disciples, the apostles were martyred for their faith. All they had to do to save their lives was to say, no, we don't believe in Jesus. He didn't rise from the dead. And they said, you can kill us. You can torture us. You can beat us. We are going to go to our grave saying we saw him alive. That's significant. Now notice what Luke says in chapter one. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So we know how many days. It wasn't a one-time event. He appeared repeatedly over 40 days. Lots of people saw him alive. Now, one of my favorite passages of scripture, and, and you won't immediately understand why this is my favorite passage when I finish it. Luke chapter three, verse one. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother, Philip, tetrarch of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, uh, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. That's your favorite now, isn't it, Tammy? Now here's why I love this. Does that sound like he's making up a story? It's incredibly specific. And we know from other documents that every one of these eight leaders mentioned were in their positions in AD 29 when he's talking about this. It's confirmed eyewitness testimony. Luke references 32 uh, countries, 54 cities and nine islands without making a single mistake. And he didn't have Google maps. This is remarkable. And then Roman historian, not a Jewish historian, not a Christian historian, Roman historian Colin Hemmer verified through archaeology and other historical sources that Luke records 84 historical and eyewitness details just from Acts chapter 13 to the end of Acts. 
And many of them, he says, are obscure details that only an eyewitness could know. Like names of small town politicians, specific weather patterns, water depths. Now listen to what he says. While Luke is getting these minor details correct, he also claims that Paul did miracles. He says, why would he tell the truth about minor details but lie about the miracles of Paul? The answer is he wouldn't. If you were writing fiction, you'd never do this because it'd be way too easy to prove you were lying. Luke is saying, fact check me, bring it on. He didn't say once upon a time. He didn't say in a galaxy far, far away. He said, this stuff happened. Check it out. Now, you also need to understand that in the first century, there's this explosion of the number of copies of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, James. There's not a single document in history that can compare to how many copies of pieces or all of the the New Testament that we have. In fact, the New Testament was written, the original language was Greek. We have 5,664 Greek New Testaments copies of Greek New Testament that were from all over the known world at that time. We have 8,000 copies that were in Latin. We have 8,000 that were Ethiopic. That means somebody took it to Ethiopia and translated it into Ethiopic. I don't know. That's how I say it. Slavic, Armenian. When you add up all of the numbers of, of copies of the New Testament, we have over 25 copies of the New Testament or portions of the New Testament that show up all over the, the known world. Now, Norman Geisler is an expert. Um, He wrote several books. In fact, uh, one I'll I'll talk to you about in a minute. But he said this in his general introduction to the Bible. He said this about the Bible. The New Testament then has not only survived in more manuscripts than any other book from antiquity, but it has survived in a purer form than any other great book, a form that is 99.5% accurate. Now, critics will go, yeah, but it's that 0.5%. That 0.5%. Did you know that the 0.5% is names of places? For instance, uh, some places it's called the Sea of Galilee. Others call it Lake Gennesaret. Some some uh, people say that Jesus went to uh, to cast out demons of the man um, in the Gadarenes. And others call it Gerasene. If you take all of those so-called errors, the 0.5 one-hundredths of a percent... And you put it on a piece of paper, a notebook paper, you would fill up about half the page and it would have nothing to do with the doctrine of who Jesus is. Nothing to do about the doctrine of God or sin or salvation. It's names of people and places that are the mistakes. And and the grown up version of Christianity is the Bible we have was written by eyewitnesses. It was more copied than any document in history. The second most uh, copied document was Homer's Iliad. We have about 1,600 copies of Homer's Iliad that date to a 1,000 years after he wrote the original. We don't have any of his originals. And people say, oh, yeah, that's accurate. We have 25,000 copies of the New Testament that date to within a couple of years. And yet critics will say, oh, we'll believe Homer's Iliad, but we're not going to believe the Bible. That's making it up. If people say you can't, if they say you can't trust the Bible because it has too many errors, they've never studied the history of the Bible. They're either lazy because it's all out there, you can read about it, or they're lying about the Bible. Now, what do you make copies of? Just anything? Important stuff, originals, good. Things that are important. The materials they used back then to copy were so expensive, it shows you how important 
this document was that there are 25 copies all over the known world. And when you begin to compare them, here's how we know the Bible is accurate. If you have a copy from, from Ethiopia, if you have a copy from Northern Rome and you compare those two, because you think about it, they didn't have, they couldn't send it on the internet. They, they would copy it and then they would send it out with people and it would just show up all over the known world, Asia minor in Jerusalem, in Mesopotamia. We have copies from all over the known world. When you compare those, they are remarkably accurate. How do they get accurate? Because they copied them from the same original manuscripts. We believe that the Bible in its original form, the original manuscripts, we don't have the original manuscripts. We believe those are inerrant. There's not a single error in them. We believe that what we have are 99.5% accurate copies and the only problems are names and places and maybe a few dates. Does that make sense? The grown-up version is you can defend the Bible. They were, they were very meticulous in how they copied. In fact, they would read from, when they would copy a page, the editor would come and watch and they would, they would count the letters and they would count to the middle letter in the page. They would count from the, the beginning of the page. Actually, they, they, they read right to left. We, we read uh, left to right, but they would count to the middle letter from the bottom and from the top. If the middle letter didn't match the original, they put an X through it and threw it out. Remarkable. There's not another there's not another document in history that has as much evidence as, as the Bible. Now, here's another interesting fact. Jesus was mentioned by 42 sources, 42 different people within 150 years of, of his life on earth. And 10 of those were non-Christian sources. Now, Tiberius Caesar was mentioned by 10 sources. Nine of those are non-Christian. One is Christian. If you believe that Tiberius Caesar was a real person who lived at that time, how can you not believe in Jesus who cited by four times as many um, sources and he had a much greater impact on history? If you're going to believe in Tiberius, you have to believe in Jesus as well. Now, The New Testament writings were not copied because they believe they were inspired. We believe they're inspired. That's not the reason they copied them. They copied them because they believed they were true. This really happened. All right, back to our timeline. Now, this is interesting to me. So over here in AD 312, Constantine becomes emperor. This, this is, this is a big deal. Um, from the time the temple was destroyed here in AD 70 until Constantine becomes emperor, Christianity explodes all over the known world. And this was when it was illegal to be a Christian. Christians were thrown before the lions in the Colosseum just so people could, man, they were bored. They didn't have Netflix. Let's go find some Christians. Let's throw them in front of the lions and let's cheer that. They were crucified. One army commander crucified 2000 Christians on a hill in one day as a threat, don't you dare say Jesus is Lord. Caesar is Lord. So it was a very dangerous time to live. And yet Christians were, were um, the people were becoming Christians by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands. Now, Constantine's mom becomes a Christian before it's legal. I don't know how that happens, um, but she probably had a little bit of uh, influence on Constantine because, but, because shortly afterwards he becomes a Christian, but not because he wanted to follow Jesus. The reason Constantine became a Christian is because he wanted to unify his kingdom. He's, this is huge right here. He said, what is the one thing that most of my subjects have in common? 
It's not all the, the Greek mythology gods. It's not the Roman gods. It's not Caesar is Lord. The one thing the most of my kingdom has in common is Jesus is Lord. Christianity. That's how big the impact made, uh, Christianity made before they had the physical Bible. It made its greatest strides in the 282 years before the Bible was, we know even existed. Now in uh, back to our timeline here in AD 350, that's when the old Testament and the new Testament were combined. Why so long? Because it had been illegal before that Constantine's the one who made it the legal religion. And then it was not called the Bible until three eighty three eighty eight. By the time we got the Bible as we know it, Christianity had already replaced all the mythological gods, all the Roman gods, all the barbarian gods, and most of the Egyptian gods and had become the state religion of Rome. That is just, that's remarkable when it was illegal. First to third century Christians believed Jesus loved them before the Bible told them so. It wasn't until the printing press was invented that most people even got to touch or see a Bible. Now, if somebody from our time, from 2017, were to go back and, and talk to Peter, he'd probably scratch his head because critics would go back and say to Peter, hey, man, uh, we don't believe, there is no evidence of a worldwide flood. Now, side note, even though every major world uh, civilization has a story of a worldwide flood, they'd say, well, there's, there's no proof that there was a worldwide flood, so we don't believe that. They would say there's no proof, we don't have any evidence, that the Israelites left Egypt and they went on this exodus to the promised land. There's no proof of that. They would say there's no proof that the first 11 chapters of the Bible are true. Come on, in the beginning God created, we don't believe that. Now, let me just say this. If the reason you don't believe in the Bible is because of miracles, because you think that the laws of nature cannot be overridden, the laws of nature just tell us what should happen. They don't tell us what always happens. Now, according to the law of gravity, if I drop this bottle of water, what should happen? Where should it end up? On the floor. Let's see if that happens. Oh, no. A miracle just happened. No. A human overcame the law of gravity with just a little bit of power. We do it all the time. We fly in planes. We overcome the law of gravity. When when the gas runs out, the law of gravity takes back over. Just because the laws of nature, a lot of people walk away from Christianity because they say uh, miracles can't happen. But we're now finding out that, that there was a big bang that happened. And scientists are saying that whatever caused the big bang, the designer, because everything sure seems to be designed, must have more power than what's in the universe. If I have enough power to overcome the law of gravity, Shouldn't God, the one who created that we believe created, have enough power to overcome the laws of physics and chemistry and biology? Yes. That only makes sense. Now, back to Pete. Sorry, I got off on that. So I think Peter would look at this visitor from the future who says there's no evidence, and I think he would say something like this. I watched my friend Jesus, the water walker, the miracle worker, the, the one who raised people from the dead, I watched him die on a cross. Then on Sunday, these women show up and they say, hey, the tomb is empty. So we run out and see, and sure enough, the tomb is empty and his grave clothes are there. And at first we thought somebody had stolen the body, but then Jesus just starts showing up all over the place for 40 days. One day he's in the upper room. Another day he's at the beach and we had breakfast with him. Another day he's walking with a couple of people on the road to Emmaus. He starts showing up over and over and over again. So I don't know about all that evidence stuff, All I know is that Jesus said he was going to die. 
He said three days later he was going to rise from the dead. We didn't believe him until he did it. He says, when someone predicts his death, comes back to life, you start believing in him. And I think Peter would say, you know, I believe in the Old Testament. In fact, I have most of the Old Testament memorized. In the Old Testament, there are 50 major prophecies about the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled them all. And I think Peter would say, but I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Christ follower because of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. I'm a Christ follower because Jesus died and rose again. It happened. For the first 300 years of Christianity, the debate centered on an event, the resurrection of Jesus, not on a book. People didn't ask, is the Bible true? People asked, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Matthew said, yes, he did. Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Jude, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthias, they all said, yes, he did rise from the dead. Then this fire-breathing Pharisee named Saul, he's later uh, changed his name to Paul, his stated goal was to wipe out Christianity before it ever got started. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, he's radically changed, and then he goes all over the known world starting churches. There's no explanation for the success of the church if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. There's none. Now we believe Jesus rose from the dead, not because, not just because the Bible says so. It's way, way better than that. We believe Jesus rose from the dead. We believe that Christianity was undefeatable, not because they had the Bible, but because they had the truth about Jesus. So Jesus loves you. This, you know, for John who had breakfast with the risen Jesus on a beach tells you so. Jesus loves you, this you know, for Dr. Luke, who thoroughly researched, who talked to eyewitnesses and wrote everything down, tells you so. Jesus loves you, this you know, for the Apostle Paul, who hated Christians, took Christianity all over the world and risked his life, tells you so. Jesus loves you, this you know, for the early church defied an emperor, an empire, and the religious establishment of Judaism, they tell you so. Now, I've got this book, and the only chapter I've read in this book is because somebody, I heard a pastor mention this book. Turn the lights up for me, Gary. Um, and it's called Stealing from God. It's by Frank Turek, and he's done a whole lot of, of background. I want to read you a couple of things. One of the reasons we believe the Bible is true is because it includes something called uh, embarrassing testimony. Let me, let me read to you what it says. Have you ever lied to make yourself look good? If you said no... You're lying to make yourself look good. Have you ever lied to make yourself look bad? No, not unless you're a pool shark, he says. And then, then you probably have. Uh, there, he says, in fact, in this world of spin and image, our tendency is to hide even embarrassing details that are true. We hide the truth. Therefore, when authors claiming to write history include embarrassing details about themselves or their heroes, they are probably telling the truth. The New Testament documents are filled with embarrassing details that the writers would never have invented. Notice that the disciples frequently depict themselves as dimwits. They fail to understand what Jesus is saying several times and don't understand what his mission is about until after the resurrection. Their thick-headedness even earns their leader, Peter, the sternest rebuke from Jesus, get behind me, Satan. That's a good thing for the leader of your church to be called Satan. Don't you do it. (laughs) After Jesus asked them to stay up and pray with him, during his greatest hour of need, the disciples fall asleep on Jesus, not once, but twice. Then after pledging to be faithful to the end, Peter denies Christ three times and all but one of his disciples ran away. The scared, scattered, skeptical disciples make no effort to give Jesus a proper burial. Instead, they say a member of the Jewish ruling body that sentenced Jesus to die is the noble one. Joseph of Arimathea buries Jesus in a Jewish tomb, which would have been easy for the Jews to refute if it were not true. 
Two days later, while the men were still hiding, the women go down and discover the empty tomb and the risen Jesus. Who wrote down all of this accounts? Men, some of whom are the characters in the story. If you come to the the love and respect Bible study, you're going to understand this very clearly. Now, what man is going to say that he was hiding for fear of the Jews while the women went down and discovered the empty tomb? If you were these men, would you depict yourself as dim-witted, bumbling, rebuked, lazy, skeptical sissies who ran away at the first sign of trouble while the women were the brave ones who discovered the empty tomb and the risen Jesus? The answer is not a chance. But the fact that they wrote down that women did it, women couldn't even give testimony in that time. That's another evidence that the Bible is true. If you were making it up, you wouldn't do that. Now, there's, there's another thing he says. He says, what did these Jews have to gain by making up a new religion? Check this out. What did the Jewish New Testament writers have to gain by making up a new religion? By insisting that the resurrection occurred, they got excommunicated from the synagogue, the church, then beaten, tortured, and killed. Last I checked, that was not a list of perks. In fact, they had every motive to say the resurrection did not happen and not any bias to say it did. Now listen to this. I thought this was awesome. He says, my friend Warner, uh, J. Warner Wallace is a, is a cold case homicide detective who wrote the excellent book, Cold Case Christianity. He points out that there are three major reasons people commit crimes or engage in conspiracies, money, sex, or power. None of those motives were present for the apostles. Remember, the apostles were Jews who thought they were God's chosen people. They had no motive to make up a new religion, especially one that would get them excommunicated from the synagogue and then beaten, tortured, and killed. Yet suddenly, these pious Jews abandon their long-held beliefs and adopt new ones that would only cause them excruciating treatment here on earth. Why would they do that? The best explanation is that they experienced an impact event, an event so powerful and dramatic that it transformed scared, scattered, skeptical Jews into bold Christians who in turn became the most effective, peaceful missionary force in the history of the world. The impact event was that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead just as he predicted. This stuff is real and there's defense for our faith. I love studying it too in case you can't tell. It's okay if you have doubts. Let your doubts cause you to do some exploring on your own. Even John the Baptist, who Jesus called the greatest person born from a woman, the greatest human being born from a woman, Jesus called John the Baptist that. John the Baptist had doubts. You see, he said, I've got to become less and Jesus has to become more. And he's arrested and he's about to be killed. He gets his head chopped off. Before that, he's sitting in prison. He has doubts. Look what it says in Matthew eleven two through 6. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? He's like, man, this isn't what I signed up for. You're not doing what I thought you should do. Is there another one coming after you? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and what you've heard. What you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. If if in the beginning God created, he has power to do miracles, we expect God's son to be able to heal deaf people, blind people, those with leprosy. We expect him to have the same power that God does. Jesus showed all of those things. But then he predicts his own death. And he comes and he predicts his own resurrection. Then he does it in Jerusalem, the very city where he was killed. 
It's not even that far from, from where the temple was to where Jesus was crucified outside the city. It wouldn't be real hard to go out and find a body. All the Romans had to do, all the Jews had to do was produce a dead body of Jesus and Christianity would never have started. You know why they never produced Jesus body? He's alive. Eyewitnesses documented not what they believed. They documented what they saw. If you walked away because of a Bible tells me so, Jesus, you need to understand that Christianity was never about the Bible. Christianity was about Jesus. Christianity didn't disrupt an empire and a religion because of a book. It, it disrupted those things because of a risen savior. No one else, no other religion has a Jesus. I've studied them all. That's yeah, there you go. The fact that he was a real historical figure, the fact that people who are trustworthy wrote it down, the fact that 10 sources outside of Christianity said, and by the way, the things they said about Jesus, they said he was a virtuous man. They said he was a miracle worker. They didn't believe in it, but this is what their disciples said. And other people said, Jesus did miracles. The the non-Christian people said he did all of this stuff. The most logical explanation is he did all that stuff. You bow your heads for a moment. I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ, but this whole series is about he's real, he has power, and he makes difference in lives. But he only does that if you're under his authority. So the New Testament says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you're not in the kingdom of God and you want to you follow this miracle worker, The way we do it around here is we say, Jesus, would you be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life? It's that simple. You call on his name and you'll be saved. You'll be written. Your name will be written in in the Lamb's book of life, Jesus book of life, and you'll be adopted into God's family. And if you did that, the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoiced because another person who was lost has been found. If you've been away from God and you just need to come back, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you need to confess. Father, I pray that you would, as we study all of this stuff, you would, you would not only show us that there's a firm foundation for all of this belief, but that you're alive and that you want to be involved in our lives. You want to have a relationship with us today. Change us into a church that is radically obedient. The same type of people that would would stand up and say, you can beat me, you can kill me. But I believe that Jesus is alive. That type of force can never be stopped. Turn new life into that type of force. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.